everyone. Welcome to Book Versations. We're your hosts. So I had, and I'm Mahmouda. Join us as we have conversations inspired by books. Hey everyone and welcome to a bonus episode of Book Versations. We are back. It's been a long time but on today's episode yeah. we are going to be talking about three books that we've loved from the first quarter of the year just to ease us back into recorded inshallah so we went on such a long break but we missed you guys yes we do did you really it's been fun wow anyways it's actually been a long time coming i would say alhamdulillah here we are so do you want to start or should i start you can go for it wow okay since to be honest since i'm your elder it makes sense i appreciate the respect thank you very much Right, my first book is a fantasy book that I finished reading, was it last month? But it's a seven book series about an assassin that gets a second chance at freedom by competing in a competition with other assassins. But the reason why I love the book, oh my god, I forgot to mention the name, it is called Throne of Glass by Sarah J Maas and it was someone on Instagram that actually recommended it to me. I think I started reading it around Christmas and then when I finished the first book I realised there were seven books in the series and it took me a good two, three months to finish it. But alhamdulillah we got there. The reason why I really like this book is because it's ultimately about human spirit, how we get through trauma and pain which I think was mm. like a the fantasy genre was a really interesting way to explore that. The power of love slash friendship to heal our inner demons. And I would say the writer, mashallah, like really constructed a very, very complex world. Mm. Brought something to last for seven books. Seven it's books. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like some of the books were filler books. Like I could have edited them down to 100 pages. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I persevered. Oh, I persevered and I made it. But like, I think ultimately when I finished reading the book, it just made me feel hopeful about the world, which is a good feeling. That's so good I really enjoyed that book. Know. Yeah, it's called Throne of Glass by Sarah Jaina. So over to you, Suad. What's your first favourite book from this year? I'd say my first favourite book from this year is one that I actually just recently finished reading. I think I finished it two weeks ago. It's Girl, Woman, Other by Benedict Everisto. I think that's an absolute gem. I actually really enjoyed it for several reasons. But I think that you pointed out something when I was talking to you about it a while ago, about one of the reasons why I enjoyed it. Like It just mm. made sense when you said it, because basically the story has 12 protagonists and every single one of them are black women and it was just fulfilling seeing rich representations of black women in several different contexts like they all lived such different lives and it just made me feel so good reading that like it was such a beautiful read and i would read it over and over again and i would say that she touched a lot on love and on family and what it means to be black in in england and because she goes all the way back to i think oh it might have been like the 19th century maybe she goes back to nigeria she goes to ooh, west indies i think but she spans like different generations and locations um, mm. and it's absolutely a beautiful read i think she also touches on a lot of things so she touches in my opinion on intersectionality so race and some parts religion in some parts gender and it's just reading the stories make you realize like that people have lived interesting lives. Because when I just think, when I was reading in the context of some of the characters, you'd think about, oh, you'd just see that black woman there. And people have this, I think for me from the UK anyway, people have this like perception of some black people, or she just works in care. And that's kind of like the only thing that, only thing that you know about her story and that's that, or Mm. she just works as a nurse or as a cleaner, whatever. But then 
from reading this book, you realize that there's more to these people lives than, than just the fact that, oh, they're just teachers or they're just cleaners or whatever. And I think that was one of the things that made the reading experience so fulfilling for me, just seeing how Black people have always existed in, in the structure of England was also another thing that made me feel so good. Because yeah. you have all those people who tell you stuff like, oh, go back to your country, or you're not contributing anything and all that. But when you read a book like this and you're like, no, we've always, always, you don't really get i think there's actually there's an interesting discussion because do you think if chimamanda or someone like chimamanda only wasn't based in the in the u.s do you think mm-hmm. he'd have gotten the kind of fame that she got after publishing purple viscous like if she was a she put in was she based in the was she based in the US? No, but like if she had a, the book was published, wasn't it published by a you you know how like you have publishing houses and they have imprints. So mm-hmm, obviously mm-hmm. but I'm saying like the major release happened in the US first. Because mm-hmm, when books mm-hmm. are released in the UK, then you have like the US edition releases, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like yeah, there's a process true. there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. don't think writers, like black writers, mm-hmm. I can't think of like a really prominent black writer in the oh my god let me not put my foot in my mouth but I don't think in the way that the US like look someone like Tommy Adeyemi who wrote Children of Blood and Bone I don't mm-hmm. think we in the UK or in England we we give writers the same kind of support that they have in the US even though the US has diversity I think that it's taken such a long time for like someone like Bernadine Evaristo to win a Man Booker Prize that tells you something about the state of diversity mm-hmm. In our publishing industry, mm-hmm. like it's nowhere near it needs to be where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. That's She's true. Kind of she has written is, so many books. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think Zadie Smith is probably the only person that comes to mind right now, or Mallory Blackman. But even then, like when if you follow Mallory Blackman, you know that woman has had to endure a lot of nonsense in her writing journey. Mm-hmm. So I think it just speaks to the fact that in the UK, our publishing industry isn't as diverse as it could be, and we're not reading necessarily. I think that's true. I mean, I have a friend who was studying publishing and she was telling me about the disparity she's like the publishing industry about 90 percent of them caucasian so it's like already in that sphere those who choose the prizes those who read the books those who nominate the prize for the prizes are not usually thinking about in my opinion ethnic minorities i gotta hate that term ethnic minorities. i know like literally i was like, i was like, <laughs> with color before and i was like nah i'm not using that phrase let me say specifically what i mean black women not that i'm saying yeah, like but you know what actually Actually, like con- con- who don't even like the word black yeah. as well. Who doesn't um, like the word black? I remember someone saying they didn't like using the word black women as well because like color was invented by the white man to to, to create disparity. So then how do we describe ourselves? Mad. And that's the thing. It's like, how do you then say who you're talking <laughs> we about? We do operate in a particular structure. I get the point that they're making though. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I do too. Oh, actually, but on that point though, I wanted to shout out to Stormzy because he has this imprint with Penguin now. It's that gives much really great opportunities. Um, yeah, he does. He has a lot of things to write. Writers, yeah. like various mm-hmm. backgrounds. So mm-hmm. those are the kind of people that we need providing more opportunities. Because, like you said, if the people, we, the agents reading the stories don't have like a certain level of like cultural awareness, then sometimes some voices don't get picked up. Yep, and as it is. Yeah, as it is. Because I've read some really good books, and I, sometimes I think, why is this book not nominated? And some books are nominated for stuff, and I read them, and I'm like. Who actually did you just, just told you? And it's so dry. But I don't want to be rude. Yeah. Let me go. Lots of tears go into that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what? The subject of publishing takes me very nicely into my second book, which is 
Sinan and Layla by FK Amir, a very talented Muslim writer as far as I'm concerned. And inshallah, I actually want to do an interview with her for my Rihla because she wanted to go down the traditional publishing route. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. she didn't find much luck. So she self-published it. And then, because I kind of know her from the blogging sphere, she just like messaged me and said that I would like, it'd be great if you can read this book. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, which says something for someone who normally hates romantic books written by Muslim writers. Like, I've been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> me hates romantic books I've been through a lot at the hand of some of these books. Wow. <laughs> you know, sometimes, actually, not sometimes. I didn't bother. I've tried one, two, and two, and now I have the same expectations. So it like, it takes a lot to convince him to read one. Thank say. you. Because I just think, like, I want... I just want a story that is plausible, that has... I want depth, okay? Which they didn't have. not a book, that is just interesting and takes me along. And I think this book definitely... It fills all of those banklets. And, like, one thing that's really interesting is because the story is very halal all the way through, like, exceptionally so. But there's so many twists and turns. Um, and I think what stood out to me the most was the protagonist kind of journey to self-love or resolving some of the barriers that she had towards finding love. I think for us, mm-hmm. like, you know, being Muslim women and living in these times, like, we always talk about love and marriage, the obstacles mm-hmm. to find. It's, it's a book that a lot of Muslim women would be able to relate to reading it. Mm, um, and aside from that, I think that the relationship between the sub-characters is also very nice as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, all around, like, a good five-star book for me. Like, I really enjoyed I can't it. I not to read it, because I'd read, like, the first couple of chapters um, before, so... And I found it really interesting, so mm. I'm looking forward to carrying on. You are going to like it. I think it's along the line of, like, Pride and Prejudice a little bit. Mm, okay. But let me know it that way. What do I call it again? Sinan and Layla by F.K. Amir. That's my second book. What's yours? Uh, so, my second book is Fiction by... Fiction. <laughs> yeah, Fiction. Another Country by James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I actually really, really love James Baldwin because I feel like he's an author who has mastered the ability to write the human emotions. I was talking to one of my professors this week, um, a few days ago, about how I really want to read something, but some of the books in my bookshelf are like super intense and I just want to light read. But I didn't mm-hmm. have those because I tend to read really heavy books and like really just depressing stuff sometimes. Yeah. Because I enjoy them. They just go deep into your soul. And then we touched on James Borden and then was like, that's something you don't want to read if you want to like read. And I was like, yeah, it's I know always that. Deep. He literally just a few pages in there you just want to rip out your soul and cry or something like it's an intricate personal story of human suffering and love and he navigates the world of dealing with when a friend or someone you know has committed suicide which apparently mirrors the story in his life where one of his friends passed away in that way again it's 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 kind of a love story but it's more than that it, it's follows the story of a black man in america what it means mm. to be in an interracial relationship in america at a time where obviously racial prejudice is on the high but obviously also living in new york which is a super diverse place how do people navigate that sphere mm. um, so i would i would totally recommend it i think it was a really heavy read and i think for me and james warden books says that when i read them i always have to take breaks because it's just it's so much in one go so when i finished yeah. one i think the, the book is divided into four parts or five i'm not sure and um, when I finish reading one part, I have to like step back <laughs> and then come back and then go for it again. But I would totally recommend it. It's an absolutely fulfilling read. It's just a book you'd read and be like, wow, it was worth my time. Basically. Yeah, I don't think I've actually read any of his fiction. I've only read his essays, which is such a shame. I need to read one of his fiction. His essays are really good. You know, I got oh, this really small one by Penguin. I have your copy. Those little Penguin book of essays. 
Which one? The one that you have? Because I got No, I have another one. Oh, I got you have one two? In, Lis- in, in Lisbon. I got one okay. in Berlin. It's called uh, um, Dark Days. Okay, no, it's I don't have that one. Really, really I have good. Your other one. It's really good. Um, I think there was one of the essays is called the the price. Oh wait, one second. I have to tell you because it's actually quite an interesting title, which was which was actually why I paid for the book. Ooh, I like um, a Puma tracksuit. Okay then, <laughs> mashallah. <laughs> Anyways, one of the books is called the price. No, the white man's guilt. I love that. That was my favorite essay in the book. It was really interesting read. Anyways, that's besides the point. I like my tracksuit. Thanks. It's very nice. I'm going to keep this in, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> which leads me on to my third <laughs> book. Um, which is Soldiers of Fortune. I need to like, pick up the book so I can say the author's name properly. By Max Siolun. I, I hope that's how you say his name. Um, and the tagline is Nigerian politics from Buhari to Babangida. So this is actually a very... I probably wouldn't have picked this book up for myself, but I joined the book club. And the cover. This was the first book that we read when we like joined. It is actually, and it is about the history of Nigeria throughout the 10 year period where mm-hmm. the military were in charge. And I have to say, it reads like a thriller. Normally you expect books that are about history or historical events to be quite boring. Mm-hmm. And although this book is really well researched, which kudos to the journalist, because I think he's like an investigative writer, but it reads like a crime thriller, which is so good. Like there's so many new revelations that I got from it. And one of the, for any Nigerian who listens to this, Mashud Abiola is like one of the revered MQ. leaders. Yeah, MQ Abiola is one of the revered <laughs> leaders that we've had in our country. But to mm-hmm. hear about his involvement in other coups that happened was quite eye-opening. And it kind of just shows you that there's a lot of like underworkings that we're not necessarily aware mm-hmm. of. And I think mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. greater importance is not assigning a sort of like savior status to anyone which unfortunately we did with That's Buhari true. as well and look where we ended up because lord Ugh, this man was involved in every crew in Nigeria except for one which I did not know and wow I will read this book again because it needs like a slower read but I think just okay. reading it you see how entrenched I don't know I think it's hard to feel optimistic after finishing this book because so many mm-hmm. people that were involved in the military mm-hmm. regime are still alive now and in some ways involved in government right now mm-hmm. and not for the better because mm-hmm. if, if there were people who were invested in Nigeria's future I think things would be a lot more different than it is right now even though we are under a de- a democracy alhamdulillah I can't imagine mm-hmm. what it must have been like to live under a military rule but I think it's mm-hmm. hard to be hopeful about where we are progressing towards knowing that power just gets transferred from one family mm-hmm. to another or from like a what do you call it a group of people it's almost like a shared thing rather it than, is it is yeah like rather than I like two, i don't really see it as a democracy democracy because the choice we have is limited and this say that we actually have isn't really a say mm-hmm. I it's feel. just sad it makes me sad but this is a trilogy apparently so i need to read the first book before really? the book after yes there's a there's another so this book, is the middle um, that's on, yeah, like oil and power, I think. I forgot. Oh, that would be but, really interesting. Yeah, that should be interesting. So I think when I read all three, then it will give me a better picture. But there was a quote that, something about corruption that I said in the last recording that we did, which, by the way, 
we record this is our second time recording this and i think it was something about corruption and someone in the book must have said the only way for like things to change is if everyone was to die i think that's so true because the level of decay Some that people we have, already tried it i'm like the level of moral decay that we have has gone beyond just the leadership it's like infiltrated the everyday nigerian if that makes sense like that's the act. thing so like even if you were to kill like you have to if you're gonna kill everyone if you're gonna kill all the leaders and bring someone into the system he has to be someone who's far removed from the system but also understands the intricate details of how the system works like the country as a whole so how mm. do you even get not that we're advocating violence just no no, no i'm just saying there. like if you were to make that a solution like it's not really it wouldn't be point, a solution. I feel like it's not really a solution that would work yeah that's, yeah that's what I mean, the problem point, i don't think basically even though we have like a failure of leadership i think how do you i'm actually really interested in reading more about rwanda because I think part mm. of the failings of Nigeria is because we don't really come to terms with our history. Like when you think about Biafra War, so today I don't mm. think our government kind of. Some people don't even want to talk about it. Thank the, you. Some people don't even want to. It's so like, dumb. But how do we feel as a nation where we're not going to acknowledge our, our wrongdoing? Whereas somewhere like Rwanda, mm-hmm. like after the genocide happened, and you see like the progress that they've been able to make, not just economically, but socially, in bringing people back together and trying to heal mm. the wounds. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like we have we have loads of underlying tensions. I told you about the conversation that I had with someone at my workplace. He was like pretty higher up. And he was telling me some stuff about Muslims. I was like, this is dangerous speak. And I, mm. I don't like it. And I'm going to challenge it. And we had like a long 30 minute conversation. But it's kind of just scary mm. to think about how polarized we are, like ethnically, mm-hmm. religiously, socially, like the inequality. Well, you know what we, we like level. to do? Though? We like to brush our problems on the carpet. If mm. we have a problem, we just laugh it off, we make jokes, and that's that. We don't actually really address things. Yeah, um, like very things on the carpet. And some people would make like really problematic statements, and then they would just laugh to cover it up. Maybe you bring up the Biafran problem or the Biafran war or some problem. They will say, Yeah, that's how these people do, or that's how this ethnicity is. And they laugh it like off. That. <laughs> oh my um, god, when people, people say, tell me, oh, this is how particular tribe is, I'm like, How do you know that? Literally, like how many of people have you encountered from that Thank tribe you. to make such a conclusion? Like it's really sad because you're not moving forward in that way. Yeah, um, it's very unfortunate. So yeah, that's why it's so funny how like even though we are one country, you see, you see lots of people who are anti 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 intertribal marriages. That's it. Yes, yeah. we're still not there. We're not there. Yeah. Anywho, tell It'll me about okay. So my third book is a nonfiction. It's called Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire. I don't know if I'm saying his last name wrong, but he's basically a Brazilian revolutionary. Um, he passed away in 1997, but he wrote this book in 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of the book is just about creating an education system for the people, with the people, as opposed to deciding that people need to learn this based on our own view of the world and just giving them that. But I really love the way he goes about it in the book. So in the first chapter, it introduces what he explains oppression to be, or system of oppression. He goes into detail about the oppressed and the oppressor. So he says, one of the definitions of gives oppression, he gives a lot. But one of them is the fact that it was like any system in which person A takes away the ability for person B to make decisions for themselves, the system of mm. oppression. Um, he also says um, any situation where person A prevents person B from becoming a fully authentic human being is a system of oppression. And when you think about that, you can think about in t- that in terms of obviously slavery, in terms of colonization, but you can also think about it in terms of parent-child relationships where some parents have a lot of like 
baggage emotional baggage and then they mm. take that out on their child because for them the relationship becomes a, a power relationship they have power over their child they own their child and so they treat their child in a way and then it makes some interesting points about how the person that can free the oppressor and the oppressed is the oppressed himself um mm. which which is kind of interesting but it's a reminder because when you think about the civil rights movements and and the things that have happened to free black people and, and some white people in the sense of just how they saw the world it has been the struggle of black people and he was like how for you to be able to to be in a situation where you want, you want to liberate people there has to be love it was like you cannot do that if you don't love the people or you okay. don't love the cause you're fighting for because then what yeah. is the point like what keeps you going when things actually get difficult hatred um, is not what builds the mission i completely agree literally and i remember it reminded me of one of of like Martin Luther King's quote where he was like how hate he was like hate cannot drive out hate mm. it's only love that can drive out hate and how darkness cannot drive out darkness is light that can drive out darkness which is so true um, and then kind of in the second chapter he starts off saying education ha- is suffering from a narrative problem and he kind of introduces this concept of banking education which is kind of most of the systems that we have where the teachers act like depositors we're trying to deposit information into students and students just regurgitate it and how we're supposed to teach people in the context of the world that they live in. So when you teach me, I should start to see, I should start to see my world or my reality as, or the problems I face in the world, or the problems that occur in my world as a challenge that I want to solve, which is how he introduces problem present education. It was like how you shouldn't just teach people. So when we teach people, we teach them as if they just exist in the world as opposed to existing with the world, knowing that whatever they do actually impacts the world that they live in. And therefore, if I see something I don't like, I don't agree with, I can actually challenge it. I can make a difference to why it's happening. Exactly. And it was like how we have to dismantle this teacher-student relationship where teachers have the power and students are just waiting, containers waiting to be filled. And it should be a teacher-student, students-teachers relationship where the teacher knows that yes, it's coming to give information to the student. It's supposed to be a dialogue that the teacher leaves also learning something from the student because you have your own opinion about something but when you share mm. the opinion with someone else or knowledge even though you have the knowledge people will still have different perspective because it's based on the reality that they live in or they've been raised in and so you should be open to learning and how some teachers just come into the class actually when they're preparing the lesson they're in cognition mode where they're actually thinking but when they come into class they're no longer in cognition mode they're just in transmission mode and that's not how mm. it's supposed to be it's supposed yeah. to still be in cognition mode when you're teaching because your teaching should be influenced by how the students are receiving the information from you and then in the third chapter introduces the importance of dialogue and how obviously dialogue is one of the important ways in breaking these barriers because like it's from talking to people that you can reflect but then it was like how you don't just talk at people you have to talk with the intention of like you have to talk with reflection so he talks mm. a lot about he uses this word a lot in the book praxis which he basically implies that it means reflection and action he says you shouldn't just say stuff you should think about the stuff you say reflect on the situation and then act yeah. on it and then he was like how if you say without acting there's no point just as if you're acting without thinking reflecting then there's no yeah, point or like even communicating is. with the people and it's like no matter how good your intentions are you can't just go and act or go and make a change in a place if you don't sit down to actually observe the environment of or think about the context make a difference literally literally like so loads of people and i feel like Savior complex isn't something that just it talks like, about that in the uh, first chapter. Seriously, yeah, like black people, like let's say black people with the diaspora can 
also have like an element of savior complex and thinking going back to my country and change it but you have zero idea of what this is need you haven't spoken to them you haven't immersed yourself in those experiences to know you have to literally in chapter three it breaks down the process yeah literally literally there's a step-by-step it explains in chapter three where you have to go there first if you want to change investigate the areas get to know the people even recruit some people who are from the area trying to influence or change because you can't change without the people and you also have to see their perspective of things and then it was like after you've done your first round of investigation you sit down you from the notes you make you kind of generate themes from what you observe so how different cultures or communities have a thematic universe like the things how they perceive the world that they live in basically mm-hmm. um so you kind of see what things are prominent in this area what kind of problems can we see emerging from these themes and then based on this you create like a, a situation that you then sit down in little groups or classes with these people and have a conversation with them or a dialogue where it's not i'm telling you this is what your problem is i'm posing something and i'm asking you questions and then after go, doing rounds of this you can then ask questions like oh, what else do you think we need to talk about and then they would give you an answer and then you pose the answer back to them as a question so if for example you give an example gives another, if for example you're talking about development and then maybe you're in a class and you say okay we've talked about all of the different things about development or whatever what else do you think we should talk about and someone says for example we should address nationalism and then you as the person who's leading the conversation or whatever you didn't ask questions like what about nationalism what specific because it was like when you ask questions like that they dig deeper but when you come and just throw stuff at them they don't want to engage in conversation with Mm. you they don't want to be involved and it was like you need mutual trust and understanding they need to know that you're in this with them not just because you think you're better than them. Exactly. The point of liberation, of helping people become authentic human beings is so that they don't see themselves as objects. And when you're giving people a solution, you're still not treating them as human beings. You're literally saying to them, reinforcing that image of not being able to think for themselves. Yeah. Um, there's an important point he made, actually. So he talks about how a dialogue requires love, humility, intense faith in the people of the cause, hope, and which then eventually leads to mutual trust. And I remembered he was saying how if you don't if you don't understand the context of the situation, then you can't really be true to the people. And if you don't really love the people, you can't really be committed to the cause. Now I watched We Killed Malcolm X, and there was some things that reminded me of the cr- contrast between Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X, and why yeah. I just felt like Malcolm X stood for the people. Why the people loved Malcolm X? They could relate to him. He was relatable. He's lived in the context. He understood. The experience and Elijah Muhammad was more of like a saving the people and he actually says that you shouldn't you shouldn't come as a as a someone who's bringing them salvation you're supposed to be in it with them and that's kind of the kind in my opinion how Elijah Muhammad posed and at the end of the day when you dig deeper from all the research that you see now you could see that it was more about a thing of power and money than it was actually empowering people. Yeah. Because Malcolm X wanted to give them a voice of their own. He didn't want them to be his followers, right? He wanted them mm. to have a voice of their own. Whereas for more for Elijah Muhammad, it was more like, yes, we are free-ish, as long as we didn't go against what the leader says. Yeah. Which is a oh, Which is a huge difference. Because I think sometimes so this... people start on the journey thinking, I want to do good, but then their ego comes in the way, which I think is kind of interesting mm-hmm. why, like, mm-hmm. if one says mm-hmm. that your involvement with your community has to be tangential to you actively purifying your heart, because mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. lot of things with good intentions, and then before you know it, like... You go down the drain. Yeah, exactly. Like, you've gone down mm-hmm. the, the path of actually creating more harm than good. And there's so many, like, when you think about abuse within communities, 
loads of people start initiatives or organizations to help but then some of them end up being like the actual demons that need to be exposed later on mm. which is quite sad and mm-hmm. you have that like because the power gets into your head exactly like it? there's a huge power trip there so it talks true, about like, that in the first chapter it was like try to avoid to try and strive to avoid a situation where the oppressed eventually becomes like the oppressor yeah in the in the ability to want to to save or help or make a difference they can when they get the power they can just use it in the way that they're not supposed to mm-hmm. um so it was really it's really an interesting read i think it everybody should read it parents work. teachers educators whoever because you, you a lot of these things you see parallels of them even in parent-child relationships mm. um so yeah that's that's why i really enjoyed it it's I really good the book. I, I think mean, you should mind. should i talk about douglas murray or should we end this here is that his name I think you should. I think that that was an interesting conversation, to be honest. Right. So this book is actually not in my people should look but more like one of my worst reading decisions because I decided to pick up this book because I thought I can't remember what's happening in the world, but there was something like majorly happening that I thought, you know what, like it would be interesting to read something written by like a far right thinker. And Douglas Murray is quite a popular one. Like he's always on Question Time and other TV shows. He's one of those anti-integration, blah blah blah, kind of like experts that's on tv shows so i started reading his book the strange death of europe islam identity and migration just generally hoping to get some insights and i think i'll gain for something intelligent which unfortunately was not what i received so i just want to say (laughs) oh man far right thing is actually frustrating me because if you come to some of the conversations with assault of logical arguments then we can have a conversation but i think actually the reason why i wanted to mention it today is because i think the proportion of immigrant doctors that have died during coronavirus is exceptionally high it's around like 60 or 70 percent like loads of the nurses the doctors that have died have all been like either black asian it's not like there's a whole there's a whole social dynamic uh social dynamic socioeconomic aspect to the way that coronavirus is affecting like different populations and i think when you read works like people like douglas murray and they talk about immigration as something that detracts from our society whilst not acknowledging the good and i think the issue that i had with it was that it was so unbalanced that loads of the book kind of focused on immigrants are rapists immigrants are criminals and i just kept thinking to myself look there might be a proportion of people who come into a new country and do things that are disgusting that are criminal and of course they should get please wait wait before you even go into that please 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 before you go into all of that yeah are you trying to tell me that they're not people in the in the country themselves who don't do no let me finish let me land i just want to i want to you know because i'm accusing him of not being balanced so i just want i want to start okay (laughs) my issue is people can be criminals either way regardless of their faith does that make sense? It's not their face that makes them criminal. And that association by itself, the, the, the link that he tries to make in that book between Islam and certain mm-hmm. acts like rape is so offensive to me. Like it's so downright illogical that I'm just like, the fact that this book was on a bestseller list tells me that there are loads of people who are in communities with us that think exactly the same. And then as I was reading this book, I thought, Lord, if you want us to start opening the box right now, I could go down to the Vatican and talk about the level of abuse that consistently every single year gets revealed in that institution. But no, we're not going to do that because we recognize 
people that belong to a faith can do bad things that not necessarily encourage within their faith. But no, I think that kind of thinking is somehow like exclusive to Muslims. We're like the bad seed of everything. Other thing that he was saying about what's that word that they love to use so much? Integration. When I started reading this book, that should have been the red flag because my guy truly said that if Muslims were integrated, then you would find them at the pub at regular hours rather than them alienating themselves from the rest of the community. Now, Douglas Murray, I don't know what part of the world you're from. (laughs) But moving to another country doesn't then mean that you strip yourself of all your values and of all your identity. Is that the only culture that England has going to the pub? So dumb. You want to talk about cultural values cultural values kind of like disappearing is drinking really the cultural value that you want to be touting as the cultural value that's disappearing like come on yeah, <laughs> yeah but so, it says a lot about him. all i'm here to say is a lot of you don't need to read books <laughs> far right thinkers because it's not a very intelligent argument that's being made i wrote better essays during my a level than some of the stuff that i read in this book and i just think it's a bestseller man it's so sad some of you who are incredibly racist I surely hope coronavirus is making you think twice because a lot you know of people saving your lives do not look like you. They don't have the same skin color as you. And that's these, what you would think. They don't that's have the protective equipment. Think. That's the sad part. They don't have the protective equipment to make sure that they don't catch this virus. And guess who is in charge of our government? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> No, I'm just saying, like, you can't... That's the other thing as well, because when you talk about... Yeah, but the thing is, you think people are going to reflect on this, but people aren't. People are going to come out of this, and they're still going to be bloody racist. Because when this happened, when this actually... When this started, what did people start doing? They started taunting people who were not only Chinese, but just looked Chinese. The amount of Malaysians who were attacked because they looked Chinese. The amount of people who were attacked... Oh, and that's failure of leadership because I think Trump mm. was at the forefront of saying let's call it the Chinese virus or the Wuhan yeah, virus and I'm not I'm not against Trump. okay you name it from the place that originated from there's like loads of other diseases or illnesses like let's say Spanish flu or viruses that have been named based on like where they originated from but here explicitly you can tell it's there's not it's not like a medical reason behind it the reason behind it is xenophobia and it's to instigate like the virus violence has a name. against the people and that that is like we are just seeing like i don't know i feel like we're seeing the world implode and after this virus is over we still have a lot of work to do within our communities to make sure that we do out certain thinking because reading mm-hmm. this book i just as much as i wasn't impressed it's kind of still scary when you look at places like india or even china where the Uyghur muslims are still in camps like when you think mm-hmm. about it or like in india mm-hmm. where they're being mm-hmm. stripped of their citizenship slowly things aren't building well and i'm not trying to stoke fear but all day listening to trump and i'm not trying to insult your intelligence or fox news you ever listen to observations but if there's a level of propaganda that's going on that needs to be combated that's my take you may want to in that because reading pedagogy of the oppressed he talked about how when you when you're thinking about materials to teach people you mm-hmm. should encourage them to read like stuff from the media newspaper and stuff but you should always have a conversation about what they've read straight after so that you can get them to see that they can actually challenge what they're reading they're not supposed to just accept it like objects they're supposed Mm. to consume information they're supposed to read it and say i don't have to agree with this and it was like how you can bring examples of several different newspapers and how they would portray the same news in different ways and then get them to think about questions like but why would they all say different things about this one situation yeah. Yeah. how do you know who's actually truthful 
So because a lot of us just consume the news like it's the facts, diehard truth, facts that cannot be changed. And it's like no. Things yeah. can be challenged and we need like mm-hmm. lots mm-hmm. of critical dissection of things. So yeah, those are our three favorite books from the first half of the year. What are you currently reading that you're excited by? Uh, I would not say I'm excited by it, but I am okay. currently reading. <laughs> I'm currently reading. What Elena are you currently Oliphant. reading? Elena Oliphant is completely okay. fine by Girl Honeyman. Um, I think I'm reading it because for a few reasons. Firstly, one of my cousins recommended it two years ago, and I'm one of those people who I don't know if there are many like me, but I've met two people like me, so that's good. I'm one of those people who doesn't like to follow the hype. So the moment someone says you have to read this book, I stay away from it. Mm. literally and then I give myself some time so my cousin told me to read it I was like mm, yeah and then I met someone else who told me to read it and I was like mm. and I saw it a lot in bookshops but then eventually I was like you know what I wanted to just try something different and it's been two years since I was first told to read this book so let me just give it a go and um, that's why I got it I think it's not that bad the story is kind of interesting I think what for me was like made it not too exciting is that the protagonist is a really really annoying character yeah. to read and I just when you're reading annoying characters and it's written in first person it's kind of a bit of a struggle um but we'll see how this goes eventually I'll let you know how it goes and I'm done finish it right, what are you reading I am currently reading a heartbreaking book an American mm. Marriage by Tayari Jones. Oh God, don't tell and me anything about it. Don't ready. tell me anything about it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but I'm just saying, like reading the book, it kind of gives me like James Baldwin vibes. Because, no, or like, let me say Troy Morrison. I think Troy Morrison is the kind of writer that I think when she writes, there's no, there's no judgment in the way that she writes, even when she's writing really complicated characters. And I feel mm. the mm-hmm. same way about this book it's like Ooh. very mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. emotionally my professor's been telling me about it it's like it's really yeah. good and i wish i gave it to you before this yeah, like, happened I, cried. I, was I like, feel like mm-hmm. i must do some kind of hormonal change it like i cried like the first day because i was like lord this world is a mess mm, i can't wait to <laughs> but, read it um, oh my god yeah it's really I good book. To... so that's the end of today's show thank you for joining us on our new episode of book for no, finally. But I'm very happy. <laughs> um, we hope you gave from the discussion. Um, excuse me, before people get the wrong impression, I'm definitely not high. <laughs> <laughs> Unhappiness, man. You're high in joy. May I continue to mm-hmm. We hope mm-hmm. you gave benefit mm-hmm. from the discussion. And if you enjoyed this episode, remember to like, review, comment, and share it with your friends. We want to feel your love. Conversations is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and several other platforms. Email us your thoughts at bookconversationspod at gmail.com and let us know what books you want us to check out. Till next time. Remember to read. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, but you better be sure this actually.